This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. And for once, we have a show right after news has broken. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. Mike Trout has signed a massive deal with the Angels. We're obviously going to talk about that. Um, I dug up a bunch of data on the proposed three-batter minimum for pitchers, which generated a lot of discussion. I'm excited to talk about that. I had an idea about whether the Red Sox can have the best outfield in the history of baseball, so that'll be fun. And then we'll finish off the day by looking at the Fangraph's uh, playoff odds and projected win totals and uh, kind of pick out the ones we think are maybe a little high or a little low. Uh, hey, Mike Trout signed a big deal today. Have you heard about that? Uh a little bit just a little bit let's let's unwrap the you know open up the sausage making machine here's how i found out about this deal i'm sitting at my desk turned around talking to tom tango and ben judlevic and all of a sudden matt over my shoulder shouts some expletives and i turn around going oh god what happened and he says mike trout just signed an extension with the angels and it's for 12 years and 430 million dollars and that kind of turned our day on its side it's actually it's actually more of a 10-year extension it's a 12-year deal you have two years left they're adding 10 years, but it's basically the total value is 12 years, $430 million, biggest contract in profession, American professional sports. Uh, sort of. I have, to, I have to throw in this huge caveat here. Which is? That is true. It's yeah. $430 million. Um, but we don't talk about inflation enough on these deals, right? The time value of money is a real thing. I looked up this Fangraphs article from last year. So A-Rod in 2001, everybody knows, 10 years, $252 million. Uh, you know what the 2019 dollar amount of 252 million is please tell me 592 million dollars <laughs> so that counts i mean that matters but yes in raw dollars uh it is the largest contract in american sports history um and i don't know i, I guess i couldn't find anything bigger in the world who knows about i don't know soccer or auto racing i don't know it's a lot of money and um i think it's kind of cool from a total non-stats like perspective he's gonna most likely stay with the same team for his whole career. Nolan Arenado might as well. Like I feel like we don't see that anymore. The Cal Ripken, George Brett kind of guys. I think that's cool. Yeah, and it could. I mean, this maybe is a little bit of a, a market adjustment of players seeing kind of the way free agency's gone. Granted, I mean, Mike Trout as a free agent would have gotten a big deal no matter what. Same with Arenado, but you get sort of that security of hey, I like my situation. I like where I'm playing. I like where I live. And the fans of that team kind of get to latch on to that player and be like, hey, this is our guy. This deal apparently reportedly has no opt-outs. Yeah. Um, Weird. Him and Harper, both no opt-outs. <laughs> so I think, I mean, if 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 the if this ends up being a trend, I mean, I think we could see – it would not shock me uh, if we see Chris Sale and Jacob DeGrom extensions in the next uh, – between now and opening day. Uh, Sale's eligible free agency next offseason. DeGrom the season after that. Though, neither one of those uh, – would surprise me. I think that that's kind of cool. I think most fan bases, most fans would would li- would like to see that. And it's not just the big market teams that are doing this, right? You know, we're seeing the Ro- the Rockies do it. Um, so it's uh, it's cool. I saw a, a tweet, and I can't remember who said it, but I thought it was pretty funny. So Mike Trout's going to get four hundred and thirty million dollars, right? On top of the 
I'm not even sure what he's already made, but it's over $100 million, right? When Artie Moreno bought the Angels like 20 years ago, it cost $184 million. <laughs> Obviously, they're worth a little bit more than that now, um, but that's pretty funny. I thought this was a good quote from uh, ESPN's Jeff Passan. The $430 million plus total is more than 30% larger than the $330 million Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies like three weeks ago, you know? So like that is, uh, he, owned, he owned that record for like a blink of an eye. Well, and, and Will Leach wrote about this recently on Movie.com, and the idea that everyone was like, oh, what's Trout going to get? when he hits free agency but the thing is Trout wasn't going to hit free agency till he was 29 years old um so he obviously would have gotten a big deal but I actually think if he'd waited he there was a decent chance he would have gotten less um in total value than Harper got just because of his, the age at which he was hitting the market so this idea that he was going to hit free agency in two years and get 400 million then I think was always misguided so this actually is probably kind of like the most reasonable outcome of it all. But, and don't forget the timing of it, right? In two more years is when the, the CBA is up. Who knows what the world is going to look like uh, at that point. I thought it was interesting just like kind of looking at the social media reaction. A ton of people were like, oh my God, how is any baseball player worth that much money? And I also saw a ton of people saying, oh my God, he's underpaid. This is a mess, which I guess kind of means this is the sweet spot of the right area. I mean, listen, obviously there's billions of dollars in the game. Mike Trout is the best player in the game. He should have a large chunk of that. Uh, but I did think it was interesting. He doesn't actually add much more average annual value than what he already had. Obviously, this extends it out for many, many years to come. Um, but he had uh, an average annual value of, I think, like 34 before. And now it's 36, which is interesting. But, you know, as you were kind of alluding to, there were two more seasons before free agency where anything could happen. He could get hurt. He could, I mean, Grady Sizemore, we thought was going to be this guy, and he fell completely off a cliff. He could decline. Like two years ago, we were talking about this year's class of free agents, and look what happened, you know? Yeah, no, uh, Andrew Simon is uh, doing a piece for MLB.com with the help of some uh, some projections from Tom Tango. And basically, Tom Tango said there's only two realistic comps for Mike. It's like so hard to project Mike Trout because there's only two comps for him, and his comps are Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. Legitimately, those are the only two comps like that are basically in his orbit. And those are two career paths, right? And Willie Mays basically, although you know people joke about the end of his career at the Mets, like he was a very good player through his 30s, whereas Mickey Mantle got hurt at like the age of 32 and was basically done as a superstar. So like this deal for Trout kind of like, you know, hedges against both those situations a little bit because who knows what, you know, a fluke injury could change the trajectory of yeah. his career. Um, you know, assuming he stays healthy, you have to, you know, the, the, the Willie Mays career path seems seems reasonable. I, I feel like the listeners of this podcast don't need to know how great Mike Trout is because you already know, like we could go on for an hour just about all of his amazing feats. But I dug up a couple of cool things. Uh, he has the most wins above replacement in all of history through age 26 uh, at 65. This is the Fangrass version right above Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, Hornsby. And it's always, I always think it's important to note, like when... Ty Cobb played as great as he was. He was playing against a player pool that was only people basically born east of the Mississippi, uh, all, no integration. All white, yeah. All white. <laughs> like, the player pool was tiny. So, like, yes, 64 war, but, like... What was the replacement <laughs> level at that point? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, the fact that Trout is even... Because, you know, for so long, like, you look at some weird oldie time, like, war totals, and they're just, like, crazy. So, the fact that Trout is higher than Cobb through yeah. 26, it's like, I think that... People don't really appreciate how insane that. What, what you're sort of describing is when uh, Babe Ruth out homered the entire American <laughs> League one year. I don't think you can do that anymore. Uh, Mike Trout has played in seven full seasons. He's won two MVPs. He should have won seven, uh, four second place finishes, one fourth place year. I don't know what happened that year. It must have been a down year for him. Yeah, uh, for te- it, is that what it was? Great. Ted. 
Hedberg, I thought, uh, had this really great uh, note. Mike Trout has not gone more than two straight games without reaching base since he became a full-time big leaguer. That is wild to me. Uh, and from a StatCast perspective, if you remember last year, he said, I want to improve my defense. And he did. Like, who does that? And he specifically talked about wanting to improve you know, his reaction time and his first step. And I know I've been promising this for like a year, but we were actually really, really close, like within weeks of being able to release like our new route and burst uh, metrics and everything. And you can see it. You can see he got better. This is the best player we're ever going to see, aside from maybe Barry Bonds, who just had his best hitting season and got better on defense because he said he wanted to. And also keeping with this StatCast theme, interesting note, last year, yes, Mookie Betts did win MVP in... In terms of weight on base, Mookie Betts just bested him, 449 to 447. But in terms of expected weight on base, quality of contact, and strikeouts, yada, 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 Mike Trout edged him 430 okay. to 429. Okay, yes. <laughs> We're going to get back to the Red Sox in a second, but I will say last year was the first time it didn't bother me that Mike Trout didn't win the MVP because Mookie Betts uh, was that good. You know, Mike Trout's going to be on the Angels for a very long time, and it's sort of a weird thing to say. He has never won a playoff game, ever, and... I, you know, this is a great move for them because they get to keep the best player in baseball, and that's awesome. I still don't know how I feel about the Angels for this year. I mean, you believe they still have three years and $87 million worth of Albert Pujols? I've been saying they should probably just cut him for like two years. It hasn't happened. Um, their starting rotation, you know, Heaney is hurt. Skaggs is hurt. Uh, Harvey, is, he's okay. You know, I like Cahill. That's not a great rotation. Like, no. if I think if I can think of like three teams that desperately could use Dallas Keuchel, Angels, Braves, and maybe Twins or Mets. But Angels could desperately use a pitcher like Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, and they could. I mean, they could. I'm looking at their payroll thing now. They could sign him and stay under the competitive balance threshold for this season. They could. So as we look for kind of, you know, sleeper teams for him. that You know why else? You know why else? Because they have a, a pretty good infield defense. Keuchel in front of Simmons? <laughs> like I read Fletcher? Like I like that a lot. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting, but, uh, this is, this is, this is fun. This is cool. In my it's, opinion. I think it's good for baseball. Uh, it's good for Mike Trout clearly. And it's good for the angels. Cause you know, what was going to happen. We were going to spend the next two years talking about how the angels weren't winning and when and where should they trade Mike Trout. It's really good for everybody except for Phillies fans who all assumed they were going to get Mike Trout. Could <laughs> <laughs> be good. Good. You know, good for guy. You know, who's, who's a big beneficiary is a JT Realmuto because okay. he's got two years left on his deal. And the idea was basically that the Phillies have this pool of money that they were going to spend, and they were kind of earmarking some of it for Trout, or a lot of it for Trout. Now there's no Trout fund anymore, so where else could they spend it? Locking up a guy like Ramuto, you know, two years away from free agency, he seems like uh, maybe a, maybe a possibility. I, I am excited uh, for the Angels. I guess not this year because he just got hurt. But uh, for next year, maybe you have uh, Joe Adele, Shohei Otane, and Mike Trout. All in the middle of the lineup. That's, That's going to be cool. Uh, some of the uh, more interesting baseball news of the last few weeks were uh, all these rule changes that the uh, you know players union and Major League Baseball got together on. And one of them in 2020, they are potentially going to have a rule where every pitcher must face at least three batters or end an inning. And I am super duper excited about this. And I've been tweeting about this for like two years, like even before anybody brought this up. I've I've been wanting this forever. And I know everybody thinks I like it because you know it's like an MLB thing. But no, I. Listen, you're not going to hear me talk about banning the shift because I think that's silly. This, I love this so much. I agree with you. I, I've, I've been on this bandwagon for a while because I thought it was one rule change they could make that wouldn't drastically affect gameplay and would like sort of – you wouldn't really notice it. I, I think once it's in for like a, a month, people won't, yeah. really, won't really notice it. And I've been kind of surprised at some of the pushback on this because it seems like it's mostly been coming from um, old school types. There's one former player who's been hammering me on Twitter about it, which is totally fine, except – 
he came up in like the early 80s and this isn't what the game looked like in the early 80s you didn't have loogies and you didn't have guys coming in to face one batter i mean for me um the the least interesting thing that you can do in a baseball game is have a mid-inning pitching change because this is not a thing about length of game three and a half hours of excitement i'm cool with that but you stop and you have to like wait for the pitcher to come in so i know this is an extreme example but i went and i found the dumbest possible inning I could find in 2018. And it was a July 23rd White Sox-Angels game. So you want random. I tell you what, I found random. Uh, And it was the seventh inning. I'm going to give you a quick recap here. If I was really mean, I would just play like a clip of the entire inning with commercial breaks, but that would take 17 and a half minutes. So we're not going to do that. Uh, This is what happened. It was the uh, the seventh inning or the eighth inning. I can't remember now. Uh, The White Sox uh, had uh, Juan Manaya on the mound. He allows Pujols to single. And then out comes the manager. Took two minutes and five seconds before the next pitch. Jace Fry comes in, strikes out Shohei Otani. Here comes a reliever. Three minutes and 27 seconds pass before the next pitch. Jean-Marc Gomez comes in, throws two pitches, gets a pop out. This time it took four minutes and 10 seconds before the next pitch because the Angels had sent up a pinch hitter. And then when the pitching change was made, they sent up a different pinch hitter. And then they were stalling for the reliever, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, Luis Avalon comes in, throws eight pitches, and ends the inning. 17 minutes and 24 seconds from Minaya's first pitch to Avalon's final one. Seven minutes and two seconds of baseball time. Ten minutes and 22 seconds of not baseball time. It was excruciating. I know that's like an outlier example, but that's the entire point. Who wants that? It's also, I mean, if nothing else, I think it's worth trying. Like it's, yeah. I don't think it's going to, I think, you know, the and people are saying, oh, it's going to limit strategy. No. no it's just going to create different strategies. It's going to change the strategy. Yes. I mean, really, what, stra- someone tweeted this, I mean, I thought it was brilliant and it was just, it wasn't a baseball person. It was just like a random fan. And they're like, what strategy is it to just like throw guys out for 10 pitches and say, throw as hard as you possibly can? Like, that's not strategy. It's also, it's like, it's, it's very rote too. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, Bryce Harper's up. I'm going to bring in my loogie. Yeah. You know, whereas now you have to be like, okay, Bryce Harper's up, but he's followed by two righties. And who do I use now? Do I use my like lights out, you know, reliever? My just like fireman, even though he throws righty, or do I use my lefty because there's two outs? And I kind of hope that right. like, I get Harper. But if I but, don't, but then I he's don't. Gotta, then he's got that is strategy to me. And if those decisions are fascinating, and if if there's any small chance that this, like I think one of the issues I have right now is that if you have a lead and you get to the final three innings, sometimes it's like okay, here comes nine strikeouts, right? Because you can bring guys in and match. If this hurts that, and you put more balls in play, like I think that is only a good thing. And, and yeah, the other thing also would also add some intrigue and maybe we'll force teams and we're going to get a, an extra roster spot next year. You might get more kind of guys who you might be able to carry kind of more of like a special pinch hitter, right? Where you yeah. know I've got this guy who crushes righties and you know that like the, the, the their righty guy came in and faced a righty, but now you basically get a free shot because you're going to pinch it. You're going to bring in like my lefty slugger to come in knowing that he's going to get to face a right-handed pitcher. I think that's really cool. I saw, um, remember Eric O'Flaherty, the lefty, he used to pitch for the the Mariners and the Braves. He uh, tweeted something I thought was interesting. He thinks this might actually improve uh, pitcher health in the sense that if you're doing this, you're not going to be getting up in the bullpen and getting warm and not coming in as often. Actually, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it'll play out to be true, but it was kind of cool that he said that. Um, And Peter Moylan, who was his teammate on those teams in Atlanta and former podcast guest, uh, recently retired and going to play in like, Czech Republic? I can't remember. He's going somewhere weird. Uh, he said that it might have shortened his career, but he actually thinks it's good for the game. So I appreciate that because it's true. Like some guys, like Ali Perez, this will probably hurt them, but also I prefer guys who can do more than one thing and aren't specialists in baseball. Yeah, no, I think it's it's, it's worth it. To me, it's like it's worth a shot. I'm very curious to see the strategic elements that come of it, and I think it will improve um, pace of play. It's not going to be like overhaul. It's not going to no. cut 15 minutes of every game, but I think when you're watching a close game, 
late innings, it, the, the, it, w- it will be I, a welcome change I did, for me. I did quickly dig up some numbers on this. Uh, in 2018, there were a record 799 different pitchers in baseball. If you go back to 1998, the first year of the 30-team era, there were 557 pitchers in baseball. That means the average number of pitchers per game has gone up from 6.1 to 8.7. Uh, so that's a lot. But I actually thought it was interesting. This might not have as big of an impact as you think because you know the easy way to do this is just to look for relief pitcher appearances of two or fewer batters, which have increased uh, by quite a bit. Before World War II, you would see 200 such appearances across the entire sport. Uh, as recently as 2004, we were below 2,000 such appearances. Now we're in the 2,300 to 2,500 range. But remember, not all of those will be banned. If you end an inning, you're cool. Get one or two guys out and get out. It really hasn't changed that much. There's been about 800 or so of these soon-to-be-illegal uh, relief appearances where you don't end an inning and you have faced one or two batters. Um, that's 28 times or so per week, so one per team per week. Um, it's not nothing, but there's also ancillary benefits like we talked about. So anyway, I love this. I agree with you that you know, in a couple of years or after it's in place, we won't even remember that it wasn't there uh, in the same way we nobody talks about the four-ball intentional walk thing. Like, who cares about that now? Um, so anyway, I think we're all in favor of this. Yes. The Red Sox. Can we talk about the Red Sox for a second? Yes. I had a wild idea. Um, what if the 2019 Red Sox could get to the best outfield in baseball history, right? It's not that wild of an idea. It's Well, it's not that wild. So here's, you know, listen, the 2018 Red Sox outfields uh, were very good. Obviously, Mookie Betts, uh, Jackie Bradley, Ben Attendee, and Janie Martinez as their fourth outfielder, which is nuts to me. So even if you just look at the time they spent playing the outfield, so this does not include Martinez as DH, just as an outfielder, uh, their outfield was the best in baseball in batting average, on base percentage, slugging, OPS, weighted on base, weighted runs created plus, wins above replacement, etc., etc etc they were very good uh the red sox won the world series this is a big part of why so i wanted to know what would they have to do this year because they're bringing back the same guys to get better uh and top the 1927 yankees as the best outfield of all time so obviously the defense is a big part of this so i needed to use wins above replacement but i didn't want to do uh you know all of the guys who played, I don't want to count J.D. Martinez's DH time. It's just not fair. So using baseball reference, uh, which is where all these numbers are going to come from, I just looked at time spent at the position. So the 2018 Red Sox uh, had 18.6 wins above replacement. It is essentially tied for the ninth best outfield ever. That was last year's group. So we basically had one of the top 10 outfields ever. Um, you can see my article if you want to see the full list. You won't be surprised to find that it's littered with the Yankees, 27 Yankees at the top, and there's some DiMaggio groups later and some Mantle groups, the Mantle Maris team later. Um, the top three were interesting, I thought. 1927 Yankees, of course. Uh, the 1980 Athletics, I didn't really think about that team until I looked into it. That was Ricky Henderson at 21 years old, stealing 100 bases with a 420 on base percentage, and also Tony Armas hitting 35 home runs. <laughs> And then there were two early 1960s San Francisco Giants teams in 62 and 63, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Felipe Alou. Those are some pretty good outfields. So here's my question. The Red Sox were at 18.6. The 1927 Yankees were at 22.8. What would the Red Sox have to do to add four more wins above replacement? And um, I came up with five things they'd have to do. Number one, if you've been listening to the show, you know that I am all in on a Jackie Bradley Jr. breakout. Um, And I'm not going to repeat all this because we did a whole show about him a couple weeks ago. But basically, the idea is that he has uh, an elite hard hit rate, and he's a very good defender. 96 percentile hard hit rate. He's been super inconsistent, but he's been working with Craig Wallenbrock, the hitting coach who helped uh, revive Chris Taylor and J.D. Martinez. He gave my favorite quote of the year to WEI in December. 
This is the first time I've heard any of this stuff. What I've been taught my whole life is completely wrong. It's scary to say that, but it's wrong. I feel fortunate enough to make it this far doing it wrong. Wow, that guy must be some kind of athlete if he's this far doing it wrong. Yeah, and if, you know, I think, as you kind of mentioned in your piece... um... He's the he's sort of the linchpin. If yes. they're gonna, if they're gonna it has to be jump, him. it has to be because he's the only guy who's kind of starting from a like a sort of average ish place. I guess if you buy Ben Intendi too a little bit, right? Because he's he had a four one season last year. He was pretty yeah. good. So the, what, I've always kind of been the low man on Ben Intendi. Oh, we'll me too. To and I agree with you on that. Uh, so basically, what I did for this was uh, so Jackie Bradley last year just playing the outfield had two point one wins above replacement, and I looked at his uh, his best season was in twenty sixteen, and I thought that was interesting. He had a five point five wins above replacement. So that's what I'm hypothetically giving him for twenty nineteen. A because he's done it before, and B because in twenty sixteen he had a three forty nine on base and a four eighty six slugging, and in the second half last year after he started talking on the phone with Craig Wallenbrock. He had a 340 on base and a 487 slugging. That's basically what he had. So I'm going to jump him from 2.1 war to 5.5 war. That is a net gain of 3.4. Hey, that almost gets us all the way there. But it's not that simple. Here's the second thing that has to happen. Mookie Betts needs to stay at or near his 2018 level. This is a wildly unfair expectation. Nobody doubts that he's fantastic. Nobody thinks this was a fluke. He just had one of the best seasons in the entire history of Major League Baseball. He had 10.9 wins above replacement. Uh, If you think it's hard to do that once, it's a lot harder to do it twice. Only Ruth, Bonds, Mays, and Mantle have done it twice. Uh, It's not fair to expect Mookie Betts to do it again. And I looked at the uh, Zips and Steamer projections. They both say he's going to be about a seven-win player. And that's very possibly true. Yeah, well, only. So that's very possibly true. But I felt like I had to split the difference. I don't think it's fair to say he'll repeat. But also, if we're going to try to get to an all-time record, he's got to have a really good season, right? I sort of split the difference here, and I call them a nine-win player. Okay? So that's actually down for him. Uh, Net change between Betts and Bradley now is plus 1.9 wins. And to be clear, a seven-win season... Really well, good. Well, when you MVP. Yes, years. absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure Yelich was like seven wins Yes, exactly right. Uh, the third thing is J.D. Martinez also has to repeat his season. And I think this is actually very reasonable, right? Last year, he hit 330, 402, 629. Very good. But if you look at his line going back to 2015, 305, 374, 594. The dude's a machine. He is unbelievable. And it's I don't think it's unreasonable to say he could repeat. He doesn't play the outfield that much anyway. Um, last year, just in the outfield, he had 2.5 war. I'm going to say exactly the same. No change there. We're still at a net plus 1.9. Now, number four, Andrew Benatendi has to stay about the same, right? And I think he's kind of an interesting case. He had a good season, 366 on base, 465 slugging, 16 homers, 21 steals, uh, 3.9 wins. It's really good. But I don't see a breakout coming here in the same way I do for Bradley. Part of that is because he has a 31st percentile hard hit rate, so below average. That's similar to Neil Walker, Danny Hechevarria, uh, the injured versions of Carlos Correa and Chris Bryant. Steamer and Zips both project a repeat. Like I'm fine keeping him the same. I don't think there's a huge breakout coming here. I'm I'm with you. I I, I see him as a good player, and I, I I just I think he's a little bit overrated. Generally, just by association, the fact that he was a high draft pick, made that catch. Yeah, made the catch. Like. <laughs> You know, he came out of uh, high uh, college with, you know, Golden Spikes, kind of, a, you know, highly decorated college player. Don't get me wrong, very good player. We'd yeah. love to have him on my team. But I sort of feel like the, 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 sometimes you get grouped together. And it's sort of like, it sort of, it reminds me of when, like, the Astros had the killer bees and Derek Bell kind of got. Yeah, there. right. <laughs> like, oh, well, maybe not. Maybe he and Mookie Betts are not exactly on the same, uh, same plane. And it reminds me of when the Dodgers had five straight rookies of the year. And it was like, cool, Piazza, Mondesi, Nomos, Karos. 
and also Todd Hollinsworth. <laughs> um, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think even for this hypothetical argument, I can say he's going to be a six-win player. So we'll keep him the same, right? Net net wins above replacement added still one point. But he would be a place where there could be some game. But as you said, he's already starting from a pretty high floor. Yeah. The hard hit rate does give give a little pause. Uh, and the fifth thing is just that the uh, the other guys, the backups, don't kill you. Um, last year, uh, Swihart, Holt, Pierce. Travis and Zuelin combined for just 122 plate appearances in the outfield. Zero war. Depth chart's exactly the same. Obviously, I can't predict injuries. I'm going to say still zero war. So if all of this happens, um, we've added two wins. And if you just do that, that gets you to 20.5 wins above replacement. So that's tied with the 63 Giants for the third best ever. But if you take this and if... And to be clear, that was going back because uh, McCovey played outfield early in his career and then, then became permanently like a, permanently a yeah. first baseman. But you could tie, or you could reasonably say they could tie for the third best ever. And if all this happens and Mookie Betts does repeat the year he just had, or if Ben Attendee does take a step forward, you can get there. It's not nuts to think they can get there. I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying it's at least possible. Anytime you can get in the conversation with, you know, the 27 Yankees, that's always fun. Speaking of the Yankees and the Red Sox, we have the 2019 Fangraphs projected win totals. Um, And I think they're pretty interesting. And the first thing that jumps out to me when I look at all this is how wildly different the American League and the National League are going to be. You look at the American League and there's like four super teams. And I look at the National League and it's like, oh, there's only like two teams I don't think have a shot you know so let's start with the American League East Fangraphs goes uh projected win totals Yankees 99 Sox 96 Rays 84 Blue Jays 76 Orioles 61 um what is your what stands out to you there what's what's wrong or right uh the Yankees stand out to me uh 99 just because I think that like the starting you know I think Severino being hurt and missing I mean like I Originally got hurt, and they're like, "Oh, he might be back." You know, might only miss a start or two. I was skeptical. Shoulder injury with pitcher. Now he's going to miss May, and even if that's true, it's going to take a few weeks. Even if he comes back and makes his first start early May, it's going to take a few weeks to ramp up. Yeah. And as it is, their starting pitching depth isn't great, and the guys they are relying on, like Paxton, have a history of injuries. As good as the bullpen is, as good as the lineup is, um, so I still did- think they're ninety. I think they're ninety. You know, three. You know, plus ninety three wins, but ninety nine to me feels a little high. So you're taking the under on the take the under on, on ninety nine. Um, I think I agree with you. I you know I probably would take the under on ninety nine for just about any team. Um, but I agree with you on that. Um, I, this is probably mean, but I think I'd take the under on sixty one for the Orioles. <laughs> I, I think they're going to lose more than one hundred and one games this year. <laughs> kind of remarkable, you consider they won forty seven last year and had a half season of like superstar Manny Machado, and they, and they still had Britain, right? And they had like you still yeah. think so you think they would take a step back, but it's it's kind of hard to uh, like last year was kind of like everything goes wrong. So I think they're going to win more than forty seven. But yeah, I would probably take the under on sixty one. Um, I, I think you know Red Sox ninety six, Rays eighty four, Blue Jays seventy six. Feels about right. Sounds more or less right. Um, in the American League Central, uh, Indians 96, Twins 85, White Sox 72, Tigers 70, Royals 70. I mean, this has been a top-heavy division for quite some time, and I don't think it's going to change this year. Yeah, that feels about right. I, I'm, I, I have some skepticism about the, the Indians running away with it. I still think they will win the division. I'm not going to repeat my scorching take of a year ago that the Twins will win the division. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't say win. You said within five games. Within five games. Yes. Okay, there you go. So it, was, it still was wrong. It was still, still wrong. <laughs> um, maybe I was a year early on that. I think kind of the same thing as the Yankees. Kluber shown some signs of you know wear and tear. They're such a kind of a stars and scrubs kind of team, although I kind of like the Carlos Gonzalez signing for them. He's fine. He's unexciting, um, but yeah. they needed him and he's fine. Uh, but I would say, I, again, I'd put them probably more in the, the 91, 92 range. 
so I want to do that. I want to agree with you, but then also I want to take um, the under on 70 for the Tigers and 72 for the White Sox, and those wins have to come from somewhere. Michael Fulmer just, that's not official yet, but he's probably going to have Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss all this year and part of the next season. And that was not a deep Tigers rotation to begin with. I mean, that's that's scary, man. And right. also, there's a good chance they trade Castellanos. Yeah, right. Because um, he's a free agent after this year, so they could lose one of their 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 best players. Uh, it's it's a fair, it's a that's a fair point. The Indians have a lot of uh, uh, weak teams to kind of uh, like. The, kind of go after. I'm I'm excited to watch the Royals. I think they'll be fun, and I think they'll be interesting. But I don't think they're going to be good. Like they they can't pitch. Uh, they don't have any power. Um, and then the White Sox, like I just I'm not in on the rebuild. I don't think it's there yet. Like you know, if Kopech was still there, like okay, but. I'm a. I, I think I take the over on there. What is seventy wins here? Or 70, 70, seventy-two. Um, I take the over on the White Sox seventy-two. But um, yeah, again with Kopech, I'd see them as like a sleeper team. But I think a lot of people will be seeing them as a sleeper team. Yeah, uh, si- signing all of Manny Machado's friends and uh, family members that doesn't really change it for them. Uh, American League West: Astros ninety-eight, Athletics eighty-five, Angels eighty-two, Mariners seventy-five, Rangers seventy-one. I think that all sounds about right. Yeah, um, I think the Astros are kind of that good. Yeah. And uh, I take them to, to win 99 before I take the Yankees to win 99. I agree. What I like about the Astros is um, you look at their rotation. So they still have Verlander and Cole, right? Uh, we don't know where Keiko's going to go. Maybe he comes back. Morton's gone. McCullers is hurt. And they didn't sign anybody. Well, that's not true. They signed Wade, Wade, Wade Miley. Sorry. Um, but, you know, he's not like a reliable 200 inning ace or anything. And I don't feel worse about their rotation. Like, yeah, it'd be great if they still had Charlie Morton, obviously. Um, but they've got so many guys who are just going to step in. Like, nobody really noticed how good Colin McHugh was in relief. And I, th- I think he's going to be a decent starter. You know, Josh James when he's healthy and, and Valdez. Like, Peacock's going to step in. I'm not. Uh, and Forrest Whitley. How could I forget? Forrest oh, Whitley's yeah. going to be up this year. I, I'm not that worried about their rotation. Like, it's going to be good. Yeah, I saw Jim Callis tweet yesterday basically saying, like, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. You know, you can't count him out of these. Like, I've never like, – basically, like, Forrest Whitley is as good of a pitching prospect as you could possibly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess if there's one, I might take the under on the Mariners at 75. I think that, that it's a – it's not a strong roster. I may take the under on the A's at 85. And I like the A's. I think they're going to be good. But they feel kind of high variance to me. You know, like, uh, that rotation is still – I don't know who's in it. And they could win 85, but I could see them winning this 70. This is also kind of the A's that have been built for the last few years. They kind of have these big peaks and valleys. Yeah. Uh, kind of that's kind of how they build their team is these high variance teams. But we are we are there for Ramon Laureano. That is a fact. National League East, this one's a mess. I don't know where to start with this. Um, Nationals ninety one, Phillies eighty five, Braves eighty four, Mets eighty three, Marlins sixty. Um, it, I mean that's it, it. All feels within margin of error to be honest. Like the, yeah, those feel Phillies, like- Mets, Braves all like bunched together. I don't know that I agree with such a large gap between the Nationals and everybody else. Although they would be my favorite. Um, I would probably boost the Phillies a little bit, I guess, and I think we've been talking a lot about we're kind of down on the Braves. So I'll take the I don't want I don't want to say the under on eighty four. Like I think they're a good team, but there's a lot of good teams. And the, you know we've talked about this before with the Nationals. Uh, the depth is what would, what concerns me. It's yeah, just like you know you're counting on kind of counting on Robles to be good. Rendon has injury history. Strasburg has injury history. So there's definitely a little bit downside there. Uh, under on sixty for the Marlins. In that division, there's a be, lot of good teams yeah. in the National League. Um, the Central, I think this is the this is the first one where I've had like an easy thing to pick here. Cubs 87, Cardinals 84, Brewers 81, Reds 79, Pirates 77. Over on the Brewers. If, if so, this is Fangraphs, right? If you compare Fangraphs and um, Baseball Prospectuses, I think the Brewers are the team that they disagree on the most, and I I do think that the projections have a tough time with a team that wins quite like the Brewers do uh, with with bullpen and un, un, non traditional pitching staff usage. Um, 
that's fair. I think I would take the over on them. I think I'd probably, I think I'd probably take the over on the Cubs at eighty-seven. I think Ooh, I think they're still my no. pick. Well, I think they're still my pick. I go back and forth on them because, like, I I do think, uh, you know, I think Chris Bryant's going to be much better because it seems like he's healthy. I think Rizzo, uh, his season got colored by he got off to such a bad start, but he was total Rizzo after that. But I do think there's a lot of validity to the uh, the starting rotation. There's no depth, and I don't have a lot of confidence in like, yeah, it'd be great if you Darvish comes back. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think John Lester could totally implode this year. I, I think that this could be an implosion year for Lester, but I have a little more faith. I'm not even sure why. Maybe just, you know, go in my gut on uh, Darvish and Chatwood giving them something this year. Chatwood? No, I haven't. Boy. No, no, not my boy anymore. I haven't talked about Tyler Chatwood uh, in quite some time. I do think Pirates 77 sounds right. I like the rotation, but the lineup is uninteresting. It's basically like the same as the – the same as like the National League East, except that like the Pirates are a lot better than the Marlins. So basically, it just drags everyone else down yeah, a little bit. Right. So like you know, the Cubs are at eighty-seven, whereas the Nats are at ninety-one. You right. Know? So it's like that's they're just a little bit closer together. Uh, National League West: Dodgers ninety-three, Rockies seventy-nine, Padres seventy-eight, Diamondbacks seventy-seven, Giants seventy-three. Really interesting that the Rockies, Padres, and Diamondbacks are clumped together. I think I'll take the over in Colorado for that. Um, I would too. I'm a little surprised. Also, you look at like the playoff odds, and we haven't really delved that deeply into them. Like they've got the Diamondbacks at ten percent, which is kind of like, I just don't, I don't, I don't see a path. I, I, I guess don't really see a Diamondbacks path to the to the postseason. It would have to be the division, right? Like I don't know how they're going to get a wild card with the rest of those teams. Um, but I, I mean, the, the Rockies are not in his in his prime. I like the Murphy signing for them, especially like a little. Oh, I do too. Case. Yeah, and Marquez, yeah, Marquez, Marquez. Marquez and and Scott. I have not talked enough about Scott Oberg. I love Scott and Oberg. I, I still, you know, I think you know Freeland's probably going to regress a little bit, but I I like Gray. I still yeah. think there's you know there's a lot to believe in there. So uh, I'll take the over on seventy nine on the Rockies. I agree. So yeah, and then yeah, I guess you know seventy three for the Giants. Like maybe under because they'll have to trade everybody in midseason, and then I don't know. I like. I mean, they're going to trade that bullpen, and I think that's going to hurt them. But you know, you know, it's great. Is that in less than twenty four hours there's going to be a, major, a regular season Major League Baseball game? Oakland and Seattle in Japan. Um, let's be honest. How much of that are you going to watch live? It's on, it starts at what five thirty in the morning. Considering my kids wake up at six, probably <laughs> uh, fair amount. Well, of my my problem that's true. My problem is going to be convincing my three year old son that it's okay for daddy to watch TV in the morning before school when I don't let him do it. Um, but you're right. There's going to be real live actual baseball, and then the um, full regular season starts a week from Thursday, which I'm super excited about. So uh, we'll try to do one more show before then, and uh, that's going to be great. So this is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.